0: Third floor, back-to-school supplies department. Is any parent really prepared for that moment when their youngest child leaves the nest? The kids-at-home stage of life is a minimum 18-year hitch with additional years tacked on for younger siblings that reset the clock. We invest so much time, energy, and focus in our children over those two-plus decades that when the last one finally achieves exit velocity, who the hell knows what to expect? It's the biggest parental mystery since bringing that first baby home from the hospital. I'm Jeff Hoyt. This is Hoytus Interruptus. The process of launching Eli, our youngest, began with a full-on family road trip with all four of us, including his older sister Natalie, driving 1,500 miles over several days to install our son into the aviation program at the University of North Dakota. We had a grand time getting to Grand Forks, saw a lot of stuff, did a bunch of cool things, got there, moved Eli into the dorm, ran the mandatory errands for school supplies. Staying busy helped ward off our memory of saying goodbye to Natalie when she went off to college a couple years earlier. That was hard enough. But after we did the deed with Eli, we'd be fresh out of kids to launch. What was that going to be like? Our plan was to stay a couple extra days, squeeze in a final few hours of family time, drop Natalie at a friend's house—she'd fly home later in the week— and then Cindy and I would finally point the minivan back toward Seattle. By day two, though, our boy had his room all set up, was looking forward to the freshman mixer that night and other new student stuff the next day— and we realized we had already achieved idle appendage status. That didn't take long. Of course, Eli didn't want to hurt our feelings and suggest we hit the road early, so we took him off the hook. Hey, you good? we asked. We can head out any time. You guys okay with that? said Eli, trying to hide his excitement at finally being on his own. Sure, we lied. So we said our goodbyes, trying not to get all weepy about it, and began the long drive home to our newly emptied nest. The countryside reflected our mood. A flat and featureless prairie as far as the eye could see, weighed down by a matching gray sky. We figured we'd make Sioux Falls by dinner, wallow in our sadness over fast food near an interstate motel, and wake the next morning for the push west across the not-so-great-anymore plains. It was as depressing as it sounds. Very little was said on that first leg. No music was played. We just drove in silence, processing the next phase of our lives. A phase we had every reason to believe was going to be great. We'd been looking forward to this. But saying goodbye to your youngest when he officially punches the out-of-here button? That sucks. At least the clouds thinned as we approached Sioux Falls. When the sun finally popped out, I somehow snapped out of my funk and could plainly see that a night at the La Quinta with cars roaring past on the interstate would be a terrible, pathetic entry to empty nesterhood. I suggested we go into town. We'd never been to Sioux Falls. Maybe we could find them. And hey, it was a Saturday in the summer. Maybe there'd be something interesting going on that could help stave off our self-pity party. And here's where things started to turn. Right on cue, a beautiful sunset came out to play, just as the full moon broke free of the eastern horizon. The main drag through downtown's pink quartzite Art Deco meets the Prairie architecture was blocked off to create a busy pedestrian thoroughfare. Something was going on. We stepped out of the car and into that sweet spot temperature that's right where the human organism is meant to exist. All the downtown restaurants had tables out on the street. Live music was playing on every corner. We had a wonderful steak dinner, watching the moon rise through our wine glasses, with a string quartet playing nearby, at perfect conversational volume. We were starting to feel better. But now, we needed to find a place to spend the night. There was clearly a festival of some kind going on, so we were prepared to find no room at the inn— But we were feeling lucky and strolled up to the nicest hotel we could find right along the river. They were sold out, but had a cancellation just two minutes before we walked in. And for the price of a regular room, we scored a beautiful suite overlooking the Big Sioux River. And just like that river, things were now rolling our way. We thought, the evening is still young. Let's go for a wander. We smoked a joint in the parking lot, picked a direction and started walking. We found the falls that make Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls. We strolled the path beside the cascading waters tumbling through the heart of town. We stepped out onto the rocks at multiple spots where you could just sit and take it all in. The scene was beautiful. The sound, fantastic. As darkness fell, we found ourselves standing on a broad, flat rock at the bottom of a grassy bowl. We looked back at the moonlit falls, and Cindy said, Well, this beats hunkering down in some soulless cookie cutter motel out by the highway. After a minute or two, a young woman dressed in Native American garb walked up and asked us to please take our seats. We looked up and noticed people arranged on blankets and beach chairs around the rim of the grass bowl, waiting for something to happen. She was what was going to happen, and we were standing on her rock. A spotlight found her, and speaking as Sacagawea, she told the story of accompanying Lewis and Clark on their journey of discovery. Music swelled, and lasers painted canoes on the warehouse across the river as she described the famous explorer's passage through what would one day become Sioux Falls. On our way back to our hotel, after the show, still under that beautiful full moon— we stumbled upon an open-air concert by Toad the Wet Sprocket. We obviously didn't have tickets, but the show was well underway, so we were invited in to catch the rest of their set. There were no two ways about it. Our first night as empty nesters had completed its full arc, going from sad to spectacular. The next morning, we headed for the Badlands, did a hike around Devil's Tower, then it was on to Yellowstone and Teton National Park, craters of the moon in Idaho and the wine country of eastern Washington, with that moon following us all the way back home to the island. Every year, another friend's kid leaves the nest. And every year, we tell this story as a way of saying you may not know it in that emotion-charged moment of driving away with your precious child receding in the rearview mirror, but you're going to be just fine. In that teary moment, you can't see yet the fascinating conversations you'll have with your grown children. You can't imagine how their wit and sense of humor will grow and sharpen. But you get to watch them point their bow toward what makes them happy, solve problems that don't require your help or input, and grow into beautiful adults who are finding their own way in this world. Starting now. Who could know, in that moment, that the empty nest would eventually offer? such a wonderful view. From an island in the upper left-hand corner of the lower 48, that's Hoytus Interruptus. I'm Jeff Hoyt.